0: Greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground Podcast. This is episode 35, Christians Under Power. We are broadcasting live, well, live for us from the Power of Change Worldwide headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm here with my co-host, Jesse Fury. What's up, Reed? How you doing? I'm making no clothing remarks today. You're always (laughs) looking fly as usual, doing it right. It's good to be back in the global headquarters yeah, here. Yeah, it's fun. Back after Thanksgiving, uh, as a former wrestler, Thanksgiving was always somewhat traumatic because you always had to make weight the weekend afterwards. Did you and, eat your Thanksgiving um, dinner in a big goodness. trash bag? Yeah, pretty much. Trying yeah. to sweat it off while you ate it? There were lots of funny things from wrestlers on Twitter uh, this week of saying how this is how wrestlers are at Thanksgiving. One of them was a, uh, a clip of Martin on Martin on the Martin Show ca- crawling around sniffing Thanksgiving dinner <laughs> in falling down it was so funny yeah so now i just eat you know it's like freely you're not trying to make weight anymore no i probably should be but i'm not how was your thanksgiving oh it was good it was good we got to spend time with
1: family in roanoke uh the great city of roanoke and uh man it was nice to just take a couple days and not work and eat a bunch of food and watch movies and watch football and uh yeah it was fun Awesome. You know, I'm a big Redskins fan, so it hurt when we lost to the Cowboys. <laughs> I
0: know. That's like, like a 19th century meme, the Cowboys and the Redskins yeah. playing a football game. The Washington sports
1: team yeah. against the Cowboys. Yeah, yeah. So, But other than that, it was good. I got to preach it at a church in Roanoke, a partnering church with the Bonhoeffer House. And so uh, so that
0: was fun. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I love Thanksgiving. Um it's weird growing up in America, and you you probably experienced this as well, some of these holidays or feast days that have been celebrated for hundreds of years by people in Western civilization, like all of a sudden they mean something. When you get converted, you become a believer. You're like, wow, I'm thanking God now. Yeah. And uh, Christmas is not just about me getting toys. It's about the incarnation. It's about of- me getting <laughs> toys and <laughs> the incarnation <laughs> of Jesus, right. that's of that's the right. Son of God. That's right. It's just really, really, really special, and so Thanksgiving is just uh, unique in the sense that uh, we're not thanking the universe or good vibrations or string theory. We're we're thanking a person, right? And, That's uh, right. Certainly a biblical, biblical way. <laughs> What's that sound? Oh, Desi, you're going to take us to church. You said you preached uh, this weekend at a sister church in, in Roanoke area, but uh, what you preach on?
1: That's right. I was up at Cave Spring Baptist Church in Roanoke preaching on Psalm 50. They they actually asked me to preach on gratitude and uh, Thanksgiving being a season in which we are grateful. And so, uh, you know, in our family, we do a, 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 a thankfulness tree ah. in November where we, uh, we used to cut it out of uh, like... Construction paper. Now we draw it on this giant chalkboard that I've installed.
0: Pay attention, moms and dad. This is Jedi arts of parenting. This is a very <laughs> good idea. Go ahead with the Thanksgiving. So, tree.
1: so we draw we draw together this this chalk tree on the chalkboard, and then the kids actually cut out uh, leaves out of construction paper, and then daily th- they write. Something they're thankful for. So does does like I'm
0: thankful for daddy. Does that ever get on there? That gets on there. Yeah, that's not why you did it though, right? No, no, no. I I would I would probably do it for that just so yeah. Feel good about do it myself for the leaves. Yeah, <laughs> it does feel good
1: when, when you get one of those. But yeah. Amen. Uh, anything from I'm thankful for um, my uh, Nintendo to I'm thankful for my daddy and or yeah. mommy. So and Cowboys winning. Uh, my, brother no, was, no, my brother was no brother was there anyway. So so we were we do we do some things around Thanksgiving to be thankful. And uh, but I was really kind of convicted about how through much of the year we just don't really practice Thanksgiving. Yeah. Um, You know, I I may be thankful in a moment, but there's not really a, a habit of great gratitude or thanksgiving. I was reading Luke 17. There's this story where Jesus is walking in the borderlands between Galilee and Samaria, and he's walking around, he goes into a small town, and these 10 lepers are shouting to him from a distance because they couldn't get close to him and they're shouting Jesus have mercy on us and so he 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 says to them go and present yourself to the priest and as they're going they're healed mm. and nine out of the ten just keep going as a matter of fact we don't know the story doesn't tell us what they do they we don't know if they went to the priest or not they just they're just happy they're healed they got their mcdonald's and went
0: on their way yeah they got
1: yeah. they got the the gift and they did not return and yet the one one did return and uh, comes back to Jesus, praising God, falls at his, at Jesus's feet with with thanksgiving. Wow! And Jesus wow. kind of marvels at and not and then this one is a Samaritan, so he's not even one of God's you know chosen people at that point. And
0: probably some of the people of the day would look down on that guy. That's right. And like, hey, the one that you don't expect.
1: And is, yet Jesus lifts yeah. him up and says, "This is really what I'm looking for." So I preach from Psalm 50. Psalm 50 has this uh, this passage in it where where God says to His people. Uh, Mark this, you who forget God, uh, lest I destroy you and there's no one to to deliver you. Which isn't necessarily the passage you pick to preach at (laughs) Thanksgiving. (laughs) Gather round the table, children. I have a leaf for you, it says. Little Timmy, will you recite Psalm 50, verse 22? (laughs) No, but... uh, You forgot God. (laughs) (laughs) But a lot of Psalm 50 is really about God is trying to recapture his people's... Imagination. He's saying to them that they're offering all of these these uh, burnt offerings, and what what was happening is they were looking around at the at the other nations, and the other nations and the gods of the other nations, uh, their gods were very much like them. So that they were they were powerful, but they were all there was weakness. They needed to be fed, right? right? And so so God's people began to view their uh, their burnt offering like they were uh smoking beef brisket for their weak god who is off somewhere not seeing everything not present in every way and in need of some sort of sustenance so then so then god says i own the cattle on a thousand hills which is not about right. god bragging right. about how rich he is it, it's god's way of saying listen i'm not hungry right like i'm not like the other gods and i'm not like you what right. i desire from you is not your sacrifices, on occasion, when you think about it, what I want really is a heart of thanksgiving, wow, yeah. and gratitude. And so, uh, so I preached on just that gratitude r- reminds us of three things. It reminds us who God is that He is He's the God who is, who created, sustains. This is all in Psalm fifty. It reminds us of our story. Mm. So, so uh, I talked about how in Shakespearean dramas and in Shakespearean plays. In the middle of them, the characters can't know if they're in a tragedy or a comedy because they're all filled with tragedy. You know, this person's dying, there's a shipwreck over here, so this, we're, we're you know homesick and lonely, uh, disaster. The way you know is, is, the, is the end of the story. Does it end like right. Romeo and Juliet with a, <laughs> with a, a tragedy, a yeah. funeral, or yeah. does it end like, the, like Much Ado About Nothing and other things with a wedding? And so uh, when we practice gratitude, we remind ourselves that we're, we're living in a story that doesn't end with a funeral. Mm. But actually ends with the wedding and then and then it reminds us of the gospel that we don't make our sacrifices to please a God who's angry with us. God's basically saying in Psalm 50 these sacrifices were were meant to point you uh, towards the 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 deliverance I'm providing for you. in other words uh, they're meant to they're meant to be signposts to the sacrifice that that God would make unlike the other gods who demand the firstborn from their people. God would give his own firstborn for his people and in their place. And so practice
0: gratitude. And it puts it right in perspective because I think, you know, we could even say a lack of gratitude is forgetting God, right? It's That's, like, yep. and when, if if you're out there and you attend a, a worship service, a, a worship community church on Sunday, and you take communion, that is an act of remembrance yeah. by which we remember the giving of Jesus, uh, God's son. On, on our behalf. And so Thanksgiving, uh, a unique opportunity to practice thanking God for His grace towards His people. Yeah,
1: the everyday grace, and really requires the everyday practice of gratitude.
0: Well, today, Jesse, our topic certainly takes that idea of a story that God's people are living from creation through the disaster of the fall uh, in the beauty of God's redeeming a people from all the nations of the world uh, into right, the coming kingdom of God, we find ourselves in various places on the earth, various times or epochs of history, where Christians are under various regimes of political power now we 're taking up this topic today christians under power because obviously the uh, the midterm elections that seem have to have to been going on and on and on and on and finally finished in Florida and finally finished the last Senate race, I believe this week. Um, christians seem to freak out very easily in our day about political power, I think because put so much into it, whether you 're coming from a, uh, the left side or the right side or playing down the middle, so to speak, if you think you are. Um, we tend to get a little bit overreactive, uh, even against each other within the church, about these political things. And so I'm not today, Jesse, wanting to bring us to some political position, but I do want to take a step back and look at what the scriptures say about our position under governments, uh, and then also look at a few people, uh, men and women, throughout history who have existed, not just existed, but thrived and even borne witness to their citizenship and belonging to King Jesus under all kinds of different sorts of political regimes, some of which we would never want, some of them maybe we think are more preferable than others. But so whether you're listening today and you're, say, in another country that's not a, say, liberal democracy, or maybe you are in a liberal democracy, or maybe you're in America today listening and thinking our country's gone to hell in a handbasket or or it's becoming great again, wherever you're at with that, I hope today we can encourage you that God is on his throne and we can make it uh, in this day. Um, A few quick things, uh, a summary, a, a gross summary, I guess, of... Some of the biblical teaching about our existing on the earth under states right under government, one of the things Romans thirteen does say, whether it's used or misused, that government is given by God uh, to provide order and punish evil, um and that we need to understand that that is part of god's design to have government uh, secondly, we're to pray for those in authority over us right. Even, maybe especially with those with whom we disagree. That's in First Timothy 2. Pray for kings and governors and all who are in authority. Um, certainly, uh, we should pray for our local officials, our state governors, houses of representatives in America, so the President of the United States, whether you love them or, or don't love them, we to pray for them. Uh, we're to respect and honor those who are in authority while keeping God, right, as our highest authority in our lives. That we always believe That there is someone higher than the elected or non-elected, the uh, elected official or a dictator or a military coup d'etat leader. There's always a sovereign over any uh, princely powers of the earth. And then finally, and I think this is very important, we are to obey God, right? and not simply obey human authorities if they are requiring us to sin against God. In such cases, nonviolent civil disobedience is our path. Now, this has always been the Christian mm. position. If if the laws are just and good, you follow them. We should follow authority. We should, you know, stop at stop signs. Uh, we shouldn't murder people. We should not steal stuff from the convenience store down the street. But if, uh, you know, the government is saying, hey, you need to kill people of a certain race or ethnicity, we should resist as Christians and civilly disobey unjust laws. And so uh, so in light of that, government is given by God. We're to pray for those in authority, respect and honor authority by keeping God highest, and then obey God uh, and not uh, unjust authorities when civil dis- disobedience is called for. Now, Throughout history, there's been all kinds of forms of government. It's a really interesting study uh, to look at. People have been governed by uh, monarchies, right? kings and queens, that kind of thing. Uh, aristocracies, where maybe certain lords and ladies and owners of land hold power, and um, oligarchies which is small groups of people who have kind of all the power maybe uh that's existed in soviet russia in the name of communism but it's really a small party leadership uh socialist schemes right state may own some means of production fascist dictators have roamed the earth Um, communism offered classless utopias to people and free market democracies right have raced around the world all of these things have existed and I might even not in a sort of prophecy might even say some of these things will exist again. I mean Jesse and I will probably just go on the record that we like freedom. <laughs> yeah, big um, we 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 kinda like liberal big democracy where uh, the fan. government yeah. of the people by the people for the people should not perish from the earth. We're kinda on that team. Um but at the same time uh if we did not exist in America, could we be Christian here's the thing the faith that Jesus established is different uh, than other may religious schemes in history and for instance the big thing that I think a lot of times people forget in America that the separation of church and state doesn't just go back to Thomas Jefferson speaking to a group of Connecticut Baptists which the Baptists all know um, it goes back to uh, a simple phrase when Jesus was asked should should by a person should they pay their taxes and he looked at the coin and said whose inscriptions on that he said caesar's well give to caesar what belongs to caesar and give to god what belongs to god so in saying that jesus is saying that we should obey just laws pay your taxes be good citizens but at the same time there is a sphere of authority that we're under as children of god people of god that always is higher than the state and so um we know that not all people have rights to vote not always had throughout history uh to determine their own destiny as a people so to speak and it's even more shocking when we look at um how followers of jesus have existed throughout the ages
1: yeah what i want to ask you already is it seems kind of non um uh non-controversial to say that christians can survive under or you can be a Christian under different forms of government. But what, what I'm curious, Reed, is uh, can you thrive as Christians? C- can the church thrive under different forms of government, or is it more of just a hold on until democracy comes?
0: Yeah, um, I would say the definition of thriving or even flourishing is the the important part of that question. And, like, who are we? Like, we've grown up in late 20th century, early 21st century democracy with lots of uh, abundance compared to some parts of the world and in history. So how, how can we say, oh, yeah, people can thrive under beatings or something? Um, but I think if we look at the word thriving or, or blessed uh, in light of how Jesus may define that himself, I do think um, he would say, blessed are you persecuted for my name's sake? and so i do think the church can thrive has thrived under various schemes of human uh rulership even though we might prefer one that's peaceable and that we have a say in it and mm. so i think some of the historical examples that we'll briefly kind of you know yeah. jump through here today hopefully will show that and we're not going to uh today give you all the details of these various people Uh, and the systems of government they lived under. But we will put in the show notes some links to books, uh, maybe some media videos and things that you can follow up on and look at with these people. And so uh, the first one we'll look at is that Christians under Roman imperialism, right? Um, When I think the word empire, you know, I usually think of empire strikes back or something in Star Wars universe. But empires were very, very common throughout history. Um, some would say still coming today, uh, maybe in an economic way. Um, but where Jesus came to live and die was under the dominion of the boot of Rome, so to speak. And and after Jesus, you know, resurrected from the dead, ascended into left his church to preach the gospel, uh, there were many people who became followers of him who had to live under Roman imperialism. Two that I want to mention are Perpetua uh, and Felicitas. Felicity, you may have heard otherwise. Uh, The area of this world, the gospel took root in the Roman Empire under both poor people as well as uh, maybe nobility. And one of the beautiful things of the first few centuries in the Roman Empire, both slaves and noble persons uh, were becoming worshipers together and lived gospel life together. Some of the uh, passages in the New Testament that say slaves and masters and things like that, they were both getting uh, converted and following Jesus. a fascinating thing. So at the beginning of the 3rd century, okay, this is around the early 200s, a noble woman named Perpetua lived in North Africa in the city of Carthage with her husband and her son and a slave who was part of their household, a member of their household named Felicitas. Now, sadly, under the edict of Emperor Septimius Severus in AD 202, Uh, Roman power sought to suppress the Christian movement, aimed its efforts at the growing Christian community in Africa, North Africa particularly. Uh, Several of her Perpetua and her friends had become recent converts, and so they were studying. One of the things that new believers did back then, they studied the faith, learning the rule of faith, and how to live as Christians preparing to be baptized. And so under imperial rule, they were arrested and given an opportunity to worship the emperor, right? This was a the emperor cult of the Roman world, by making sacrifices uh, to him. So she was begged to, hey, just do it, you know, fake the funk, you know, go ahead and act like you're this good Roman person. But her words to her dad before she uh, had to face this trial was this, it will all happen at the prisoner's dock as God wills it. For, For you may be sure that we are not left to ourselves, but are all in his power. So what Perpetua is acknowledging is that she's going to go and ask to worship the emperor. She's going to say no, uh, and she knows that there's no higher power than the will of God in her life. And so what happens is that Perpetua and Felicitas were put before, thrown to the wild beast, attacked, and then ultimately publicly executed with a sword. Now, this was a state that was persecuting them and her words were this: "We are not left to ourselves." And I think uh, that's a key to thriving under that sort of yeah. sort of rule. That reminds me
1: earlier than this, in the same same uh, Roman imperialistic persecution, actually a previous persecution, because really in those first few hundred years, it would come in waves, small waves. Yeah, yep. Uh Polycarp was as an old man, eighty-four, I think he was. Uh, he was arrested. He was a bishop, and they were they were trying to kind of get him to to denounce jesus and uh man he's got that that famous scene he's like 84 years old he's in the midst of this kind of in the the middle of of this arena and the governor is saying hey listen i'm gonna throw you to to the lions you need to you need to denounce jesus and he says something along the lines of he's been a friend to me Mm -hmm. he has not left me how could i leave him now yeah Bring on
0: the fire, basically right, right. and uh, and they do bring on the fire right. amen, so if you 're under empire, sometimes the empire calls you to submit, and that 's where our forebearers, you know, like these women like uh, Polycarp, have said no, our commitment is to the one who died for us, loves us, and certainly even now, his will is over us, so two North African women leading us historically. Yeah. Um, another form of government that we've seen uh, in various parts of the world is under a kind of a kingdom of clans kind of system, like family-based, you know, this guy's the head of this family and all these folks. Uh, and this is certainly was the case in a lot of Europe that was maybe, which, which now we look back in history and call the barbarian period. But in Ireland, certainly there were clan governments that were governed by these uh, chiefdoms. And we see the man called Patrick or Patrickus was his Roman name. Now I'm going to give you a reference back to last year in March. We did an episode on St. Patrick, so I won't go into detail. But here's a guy, 16-year-old boy from Wales, uh, who was stolen away to be to be made a slave by Irish raiders. So he's taken to this crazy land of this pagan Ireland, ruled by the Celts. Um, he's made a slave there, so he labors in isolation, tending sheep, doing these things. And then finally he escapes, and, and then... Eventually, long story. You can you can listen to that other podcast. Goes back after he escapes, he gets free. He's like, and then God calls him back to the Irish people uh, as a missionary and evangelist to bring the the gospel to the clans in the kingdom of the Celts in Ireland. So this barbaric people who used to cut off their, you know, enemies heads and hang them on their waist become a people who become scholars. <laughs> Some of them, uh, they keep the Bible alive when Rome and things fall on the continent and they become people instead of tying their captives' heads around their waist, they tie books and bibles and they travel around preaching of the of Jesus and the kingdom of God. So clan governments, uh, well, you have to convert the clans like Patrick. Now, ne- next, Jesse. Um, I don't know if I can describe this exactly as a government, but we have some examples of men and women who were under, we'll just call, transatlantic slavery, hmm. uh, and even after that system of Jim Crow laws in the American South. So African people, you know, sold you know, on the continent to various uh, parts of European colonialism. And in the North American context, where our country was birthed, lived faithfully um, under a, a system of slavery. Now you think, wow, that's a bad situation compared to, say, free liberal democracy. But reading some history, you find some amazing, amazing Christians and amazing human beings. For instance, Richard Allen Uh, who was a slave who became free, but uh, is called one of the the Black American Founding Fathers because he uh, was involved in the Methodist Church in America and very much involved in sharing the gospel, training to be a preacher, but then was not allowed uh, to be involved and integrated in worship with white people. So I believe he was involved in a church in Philadelphia, and felt like this system was an affront to the gospel. And so one of the most, uh, the oldest black churches in America, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, was founded uh, by Richard Allen, I believe his, his co-worker Absalom Jones, in order to freely worship Jesus even though they were treated poorly because they were black people in America. Others could be mentioned, Jupiter Hammond, the first African-American poet, Christian, Sojourner Truth, who was an evangelist who encouraged and catalyzed women's rights. One of her famous speeches, Ain't I a Woman? Demanding humanity for black women. Francis Grimke, a Presbyterian minister around the turn of the century, the 1900s, early 1900s, who helped found the National Advan- Association of Advan- Advancement of Colored People in Uh, And then certainly the myriad of preachers during the Civil Rights Movement, uh, coming through uh, Jim Crow in the South, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., of course, and then Gardner C. Taylor, a preacher I've been blessed by immensely. Uh, men and women who found faithfulness in the most difficult of circumstances mm-hmm. and even led our culture uh, forward uh, in civil rights for all people, despite their race. Even today, Jesse, I find many, many believers um, helping white people and black people and other people, of other races in this American experiment, which isn't based on what tribe or or language necessarily that we're from, to become one people together in a culture, which is very difficult. And some of the heroes in modern uh, day America are those who are still speaking forth for justice and community, both white and black, to build a different future together. Very difficult. In our time. Well, in these discussions uh, of politics, sometimes today, someone's like, What do you want to be communist? Well, I don't want to be a communist. I never have wanted to be a communist. I've actually read Karl Marx and Engels and uh, the manifesto and read history of the, the Soviet Union where it was tried. So I don't desire communism. But how, how did Christians do under communism? Well, one of the weird things, Jesse, uh, I have some friends who were on staff with athletes and action wrestling team. And the best wrestling in the world is really comes out of the Russia and the former Soviet republics. All these little namestand countries and uh, Belarus and Ukraine and they all just can wrestle. And so during the communist uh, era, the Iron Curtain, so to speak, in the Eastern Bloc countries, in Eastern Europe and certainly Soviet Union, uh, we had friends that would go wrestle over there and just, you know, put, put Bibles in their bag and go, go fight it out with, with, on the mats. And really seeing God at work, we're in a place where faith, like in many communist countries, certain faith and right to assembly was illegal. Right, or certainly uh, managed to the point of being kind of puppet churches, and so there is a story of a man named Richard Wormbrand, which sadly not many people know. And this was an interesting gentleman because he was a Christian under the communist regime in Romania. Soviet power took took power in twentieth uh, century in Romania. Um, and Warmbrand chose uh, the freedom of Jesus in jail over the oppression of a godless kind of society. Okay, so here's a guy chooses to go to jail because he's a believer in Jesus and he wants to uh, preach the gospel. And he began working with an underground church in R- Romania despite the, the oppression. Uh, he was jailed in 1948, spent over eight years in various prisons and labor camps, right? Uh, and he resumed his church when he got out in the underground church in 1956. Arrested again in nineteen fifty nine and then was tortured all right spending years and this is, is crazy to imagine years in solitary confinement upon his release, he began to speak for the persecuted church all over the world and founded a group called Voice of the Martyrs, which some of you may have heard about It's a ministry that uh, continues to this day. Wombrand was a Jewish Christian who knew that Jesus was a good king who would guide him through his darkest hours, and he faithfully served under communism, then lived in freedom before finally dying to go be with the Lord in, uh, 2001.
1: That's crazy. You know, that reminds me of a story that is, uh, that Pope John Paul the, the second, when he was a bishop in, in Poland actually, was starting a church in this place that was really supposed to be this kind of new communist utopia. And it, and it wasn't, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a downtrodden place. And they thought that they 'd be able to just do away with the church because communism would replace it, but people wanted to worship and they wanted to worship their God, they wanted to worship Jesus as king, and so basically starts to just gathers people around a cross in the center of town, and every night they would come and tear it down and every every Sunday they would go and replant it and the and the people the the church really thrived in this underground. Uh, like the the state yeah. that could not keep them from coming together to worship around the cross. And a lot of people credit him with uh, really opening up the doors to yeah. democracy. And, and so there's even a political activity that's happening, but it's happening secondarily. Primarily, it's really about...
0: Having the freedom to worship, worship yeah. Throughout Christ. history, a freedom to worship is a political act, and certainly there are many that would credit both, you know, people like Ronald Reagan, but also Pope John Paul, as uh, turning the tide in Europe um, and in the world with uh, this kind of oppressive communism. Now, <laughs> we spoke we've spoken spoken very glowingly about liberal American democracy, okay, and so. The reason why is that we kind of think that this idea that Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, right, that we have in our Bill of Rights and a First Amendment, uh, we think that that's a good thing. We have no state church, right? We have no official religion, But, you know, many in our time interpret this to mean because we have no state church that uh, kind of religion should stay out of the public sphere and kind of can't be in schools or can't be in people's, you know, don't talk too much about that stuff. But there's another aspect that our freedom brings, right? Um, In fact, let me read you this title of a chapter, a book by Nancy Percy, her book Total Truth. She has a chapter, which I think is a revealing title. It's called Christianity Met America, and Guess Which One? In other words, um, it's very easy for Christians in America to assume that because we have freedom of religion and maybe a lot of Christians in the country early on and even today, that our Christianity is untinged by our freedom. In other words, it's very easy for us to confuse our political views over biblical views of what Jesus values and what he wants for his kingdom, for example. We can value money and comfort and political influence over the gospel and loving others and loving our enemies. Which when you, you know, each age,
1: I've given some thoughts of this recently, each age as we look back, we can kind of identify, you know, Christians in this age, this was their blind spot. And I've been thinking about those particular things for our age in the West, the blind spot of of political power of money of of consumerism yeah, yeah.
0: and uh, it's uncomfortable yeah, yeah. cuz i we, like my we stuff like to have it the way we like it and we get that long enough we can start calling that god's kingdom or some sort like that it's as a christian it's we must not confuse the kingdom of god with a particular political party or system of human government and nation and i think that's very important Although we prefer freedom yeah. uh, to uh, oppression, it's not necessarily the case that the church or our faith is thriving in, in a free country, so to speak. Yeah.
1: And one of the things that as I, I look around in our congregations and people that I talk with, we tend to make two... Two errors when we think about our uh, well, when we think about our faith and we and the state in politics is we, we tend to either see them as so separated by this idea of the separation of church and state that the, that we think that there is such right. a thing as a secular square, public square, or that that religion should be cordoned off to what you do on Sunday, uh, which is just simply not not the case because we because we're worshiping people we, right. we we carry with us wherever we go our beliefs, and our loves. But on the other side, the straight line that you're talking about of like Christian straight line to uh, Republican or Christian straight line to— I mean, really, you can find yeah. people go, go, going with that straight line on both sides. Yeah. As a matter of fact, when you mentioned that First Timothy 2 passage about praying for our leaders, I remember it was controversial six years ago to challenge our uh, you know, conservative evangelical churches to pray for Barack Obama and now it's controversial to challenge him to pray for Donald Trump, because you've got people in, in there on both sides of the aisle, and it's such a straight line for them that it feels like praying for someone who's unchristian. Well, well actually, it feels like praying right, or right. aligning oneself with something
0: that just feels anti-Christian. This is so precarious for our souls that we not get captured by Caesar, this... Um, Whatever the regimes are, there is a calling for the allegiance of God's people, right? You see that uh, in our North African story of a noble woman and a, and a slave girl. They need a sacrifice to this emperor. Why? Align with the power that is in the world. No, we can't do that because we worship Jesus. Or, or Patrick in Ireland. You better get on board or we're going to take you as a slave. We're going to beat you down. We're going to make you do what we want. Oh, but he has to be possessed by God. Certainly if you're an enslaved people, right, how can you be free in Christ while you're enslaved, literally being made to serve people by force of power and a pain of beatings and death, but your heart's captured by God and freedom. Same thing with communism. Hey, i will throw you in prison. Well, we have friends today around the world who are being demanded to submit to these earthly powers to be captured by them. Maybe that's you today and you're a Republican. Maybe that's you today and you're a Democrat. Are you willing to look at Jesus as the higher king and not be captured, not be captured by the power that is over Christians in various places and times?
1: Can I, can I, let me, let me ask you a question here, Reed. I want to, this is a controversial question. So you mentioned early on that uh, this principle of we don't obey. The state over God when the state is demanding right, right, of us right. to to break civil God's disobedience to sin would be the the course yeah, of action. Yes, that's right. And you mention nonviolent civil
0: disobedience. Yes, yes, yes. What do
1: you do with someone like Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Yeah, yeah. Participating in a yeah. plot. Well, here to let me back up for a second
0: and, and give you my view and then I'll give you my opinion on on your namesake of your ministry, <laughs> <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Yeah, I'm going to defend um, him so. Yeah, h- historically we see precedents both in the scriptures, old and new testaments of people who have been called to obey government, disobey it, right? So in Exodus 2, uh, Hebrew midwives, hey, kill all the kids. No, we're not doing that. We're going to, oh, the baby's coming quick here. We just get them out of here, right?
1: These these Hebrew women are stronger than your Egyptian right. women.
0: Yeah, yeah, they just give birth. They pop out before we can kill them. Um, and so I'll leave that for your imagination, whether they're lying to save those lives or not, but they're certainly disobeying the edict or the order of the king. Uh, in the New Testament, the apostles, hey, don't speak anymore in this name. Basically, you can't preach the the gospel and say oh well judge yourself was right should we obey you or God and so when put with this decision should we obey you or God Um, the believer the follower of Jesus always obeys God now what to do right that's the question what do we do Um, there are some that would be called um, anti promulgationists let's say excuse me from the technical term uh, that if the government promulgates evil right allows it, even makes it legal, for instance, allows uh, the murder of, of unborn babies, then that government is then unjust and illegitimate, and can be disobeyed. That would be the anti-promulgationalist view. The government is promulgating evil. That government does not need to be obeyed. Um, the other view is anti-compulsionist. In other words, if the government compels me or makes me or forces me to do evil, then that government should be resist it. Now personally I'll give you my view. I am an anti-compulsionist. I think if the government allows evil that we don't overthrow it and disobey it. I think if it tells me to do evil or my family, then we resist. So my point of civil disobedience would be if the government is commanding wrong. Now it's very complicated uh, because I think that we can protest evil governments. I think we should. We should march, we should protest unjust laws, we should speak out, use all the freedoms that we have. Um but I don't think the government at that point is fully to be uh, overthrown, so to speak. Um, so your your particular instance of Bonhoeffer. <laughs> Um, or Say let, something bad or, about them. Or let's take the American <laughs> Revolution. I was in an ethics class years and years ago where, where the professor who's an American was saying the uh, American Revolution was rebellion uh, because it was going against the king for taxes. I mean, when you think about it, the reasons for American uh, independence weren't like these heavy oppressive things that they were making them do. Um, and so he said, well, you should have been like Canada. Right. And just waited and peaceably got your freedom later instead of picking up arms against the government. The government doesn't tell It's citizens, we don't get to pick up the sword and go kill the magistrate, so to speak. Um, So that's controversial, (laughs) to say the least. That is controversial. But Bonhoeffer, yeah, he's dealing with Adolf Hitler. So we're not dealing with uh, whether or not the government's raising your taxes. Um, They were dealing with a maniacal dictator who was murdering people, starting wars. Um, Later was revealed, I don't know the exact timeline of what Bonhoeffer knew or did not know, but the final solution that he had for the Jewish people, um... Putting them in yeah. ovens and killing them in mass. Um, certainly, we would say if the government told you to do that, and you're a German soldier, you say no uh, and face the consequences. The question you have is: Should you take them out? I probably would. <laughs> you probably would by hand. I probably would be on team that's plotting to assassinate Hitler, yeah, um, probably because of my personality um, and I think
1: I think that for him there was a conviction that the state has has forfeited its role as the state, so when you look at Romans thirteen and you look then at your own state with Adolf Hitler, uh, you don't see it there anymore now, I think that gets a little bit tricky because of what what were you, what you're walking us through today as far as uh, all of these different states can still be the state with with Christianity thriving within them or under them, even that's if under right. the, the that's foot. Right. That's uh, right. And so it does get complicated there. But I, I do think that he viewed uh, as Hitler an and, 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 evil the, and the Nazi party as an usurper, an evil state, some, something that um, must be resisted to even
0: very much wrong. Um, and so, yeah, com- that's it's, right. the, the, these situations get evil. complicated. Yes, right. Like, do you go to war against your own government for, I don't know, the sales tax going up by 2%? Probably not. No. Um, do you go to war against, and more in our times, uh, do you go to war against the government because abortion is legal? Like, say, there there were some in the mid, mid-20th century who would, I believe Francis Schaeffer maybe had that opinion that the government was right. illegitimate because it allowed such an evil as abortion. Um, these things get very complicated. That's right. Very complicated. Certainly, if the government's calling you to sin, you say No. Um, and then certainly if the laws are unjust and wicked, you speak out against them and work for change. I would take the position that we should do that nonviolently uh, where, when at all possible. Yeah. And we have great leaders. Obviously, Jesus himself yep. suffered, made no yep. threats, trusted himself to him who judges justly. The nonviolent protest movement for civil rights in America uh, was led with that same conviction of nonviolent. Uh, Protest, which was also observed and and used by people of other religions, say in the the movements for freedom and independence in India by Mahatma Gandhi. Mm-hmm. We have examples uh throughout history of all these people who lived and thrived faithful to God uh, in these regimes. We have a great example in the in the Bible, right uh, the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, we see a people that are conquered by an evil regime. Uh, called to to worship and honor false gods, Uh, and Daniel and his friends remain faithful to God, and they, they even have lines where they choose to disobey and not. For instance, Daniel went to this. Always just amazes me. He went to the school of the Babylonians and learned all the arts of the Chaldeans. Who so he was learning all their their false religion, learning all their magical incantations, and and it says that he he was kind of top of the top of his class, right? In Babylon, U, um, and was uh, exalted to a very high place in as a government official because of his success within this kind of crazy, non god fearing culture. But yet when they told him he couldn't pray, he disobeyed. When he told him he had to bow down and worship things that weren't God, he disobeyed. And I think that is a line for us is that elite allegiance, right? We may think of it as political, but our allegiance yes. is is the heart of worship, right? Where do we bow down? What do we uh, prost- prostrate ourselves before? Is it the kings of the earth or is it God? And when that conflict arises, we thrive and flourish by keeping our hearts aligned with Jesus. And I think this is hard, man, in our day because we have uh, so much freedom in our culture um, and we need to repent uh, of our cultural captivity um, for our conveniences and our money and care uh, about uh, other people loving God, loving our neighbors uh, in our times. And look, man, um, whether that means you vote for X, Y, or Z, I'm not saying that. Uh, but we have much to learn from peoples who are oppressed, even, and have existed throughout the world. There's a quote uh, that I saw on Twitter on November 18th uh, by Karen Ellis. This is she's married to Carl Ellis, who's a seminary professor, um, African American couple, leader in the in the evangelical world. And she tweeted this on November 8th. I'll put this link in the show notes. She said, "Here are the things that I've learned from the global underground." She's speaking of Christians who exist under different regimes. And she said this, whether your government is fair or corrupt, make disciples, whether your society is hostile or accepting, make disciples, whether you have cultural power or not, make disciples. Mm. And in saying that, uh, Mrs. Ellis is basically saying your allegiance is to the Lord who's given us the commission to make disciples of all peoples, whether we're in fair, corrupt, hostile, or accepting in power or not in power, we thrive and flourish by following Jesus and loving God and our neighbors and working towards his commission to make disciples of the world.
1: That's good. You know, uh, if I could throw one last thing in here, that, that reminds me of John 16. There's this passage there that's Uh, It's strange because it says Jesus is saying when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me concerning righteousness because I go to the father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. You know, the the odd thing about this is that the context is very personal. He's saying, listen, it's it's to your benefit that I leave because I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. You'll get the Holy Spirit. And then this is what the Holy Spirit will do through you. And the implication seems to be that that Christians filled with the Spirit will will demonstrate a convicting thing to the to the world around them so that if they're and I think this is what you're getting at when you're living in a world where you're where you're so free to be a Christian in fact. Uh, whether we call America or the West, Christendom or post Christendom, it's still pretty. They're
0: not kicking down the doors in your churches today. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And, yeah. and
1: in some places, especially from about where we are in the South down uh, on on the map, you're going to have even some respect by being a Christian rather than the other way around. We we maybe have a harder time with thinking about ourselves as this uh, this such a countercultural. Community of right. of a new life in Christ and a new life by the Spirit that we that we confront the powers above us and and so right. it is something that it we uh, we really ought to be
0: convicted of that someone who follows Jesus just like Jesus Himself was is a signpost in this world to power a prophetic voice uh, by which we say yeah. God is yep. God and not these things that uh, ascend to the high mountains. Uh, In his place. And so I think uh, when someone is thrown to the wild beasts and suffers faithfully because they love Jesus, there's a beautiful witness that's there. When a man goes back to his former enslavers and preaches the gospel, there's a witness there. When Richard Allen founds a beautiful church, a gospel preaching church, uh, so that African-American people can worship freely, there is a beautiful witness there, and certainly those who languished in communist jails for the sake of the gospel, and those of us today who seek to be uh, strangers and aliens in America with our allegiance to Jesus, there is a witness that we need to have here in our day, fair, corrupt, hostile, or accepting, cultural power or not. We need to make disciples amen well, Jesse, um as we look uh, to our day, uh, I hope that you and I, <laughs> our church. Other churches, you guys out there, uh, in today's political um, chaos at times, that we would continue to speak uh, truth in the midst of uh, powerful decisions, but we'd also be gracious to one another as we do it uh, and be like Jesus, right, who loved and served as he sought and saved uh, with great boldness, stood firm uh, for his father's mission Without flinching, even when Pontius Pilate, the powers that were above him, asked him, "Even what is truth?" Jesus stood fast and went to the cross in his mission, and now is risen today, leading us in the world. You any final thoughts, final thoughts?
1: Just, I was going to reiterate what you were saying. But just the, this idea that now we have an opportunity to display in our formation and our love for one another, and then our in our love for our neighbor, uh, we we get a chance to really. Uh, embody truth to power as we speak truth to power and uh and 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 to do it in a way you know i'm 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 beating this drum constantly in in our church and in in my relationships of uh making charitable judgments to our uh brothers and sisters you know as far as their political motivations their worldviews and and things like that and so because the, the truth is is that when we when we are divided in, in antagonistic and uncharitable ways. Uh we we aren't this this John sixteen picture of a beautiful kingdom We're looking for, just like we, the Lord. Yeah, that's right. And so so the way to look different is really, in some ways, to be charitable when it's difficult, uh, to be a just society where we're working for, for more justice, where we're, where we're working out the implications of the gospel, even as we're receiving this vertical relationship with God, we're, we're extending it horizontally in our relationships with each other. These are political things, but not first and foremost. But uh, and Well, actually, I would say they are first and foremost because they're about our ultimate allegiance, as you said, our ultimate allegiance where we believe that our president isn't, the king the king is jesus and so and he's risen and he's coming again
0: that's right and we do know just from looking at statistics of our podcast that there are many of you from different countries of the world listening yeah. in today that and some of you in places that don't uh, have the same governments and so we want to encourage you uh, to have jesus as your king along with us all over this world the gospel underground god's people not seeking to rule the world but serve the one who actually does Amen. and pray thy will be done Uh, thy thy kingdom come as on earth as it is in heaven well the Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Change and the Dietrich Bonhoeffer House, the Jesse Bonhoeffer House send your comments, (laughs) feedback and questions to us that you might want us to take up here at info at gospelunderground.org we're taking five star reviews on iTunes go ahead and hit that up, do it right now click it right now Uh, We would love to see more people listen in. And so that is a way you can help us. We are a dialogue taking place on the borderlands between the church and culture. We hope to see you out there. Peace. Peace.